If you live in North America and are less than 100 years old, there's a really good chance that you've eaten an old El Paso taco kit. You know the ones, fry up some ground beef, add a pack of seasoning and a bit of water, simmer for a few minutes and serve with diced tomato, sliced iceberg lettuce, grated cheddar cheese, sour cream, and quote unquote, taco sauce. All served in a handy, if not fragile, hard shell corn tortilla. For many of us growing up in the 90s, far away from Mexico, this is what we thought Mexican food was. In truth, there's as much inauthenticity in an old El Paso taco kit as there is salt. But it doesn't matter. Old El Paso isn't supposed to be authentic Mexican. It is supposed to be Mexican-ish. Just Mexican enough to seem adventurous, but American enough to appeal to a broad audience. This Old El Paso does very well. But the question arises, just how old is Old El Paso? And what is the story behind the brand that introduced multiple generations of people around the world to the rough concept of Mexican food and Tex-Mex? I'm Chef Ben, this is Food in 5, and today we are biting down on the taco shell of time and getting to the meat of the issue. This is the brief history of Old El Paso. In the western part of Texas, situated on the north bank of the Rio Grande, sits a small city with less than three quarters of a million people, called El Paso. Originally known as El Paso del Nostra, or the Northern Pass, it is in fact very old. Native Americans have lived there for somewhere between 10 and 12,000 years, and more recently, it was claimed as part of the United States of America during the Texas Revolution of 1836. In El Paso, in the 1930s, there was a man named George Ashley. He had had a job with the railroad, but in 1931 decided it was time to go out on his own. He went about opening a milk bar, which I think was similar to a modern-day bodega. The day he opened, his total sales were just over $3, or about $45 today. Not much by any standard. He decided in order to boost his business, he would use his mother-in-law's recipes and start selling Mexican food. This didn't change his business overnight, but the food was getting rave reviews. Over time, his popularity began to grow, and he had had to expand. This expansion included the purchase of two ovens, specifically for tortilla production. By the end of the decade, Ashley was producing around half of all tortillas in El Paso. Soldiers at a, at a nearby military base fell in love with the tortillas and started sending them all across the country. But by the time they reached their destination, they would be moldy. Ashley, always the businessman, saw an opportunity. He went about figuring out how to package the tortillas in a way that would allow them to travel long distances. What he realized was that if we put a layer of parchment in between the tortillas and packaged them in vacuum-sealed cans, they would last indefinitely. Before too long, Ashley started canning other Mexican food products like beans, sauces, even seasoned chicken breasts under the brand name Old El Paso. By 1957, Ashley had opened a chain of Mexican eateries known as Ashley Gardens and was producing a wide variety of canned items at his Mountain Pass cannery. In 1967, Warren Tingdale bought the controlling interest in Ashley's company as George Ashley was becoming too old to run it. Ashley died a few short years later in 1971 at the age of 73. In 1969, under the direction of Warren Tingdale, Old El Paso was offering a full line of Mexican meals at supermarkets nationally. Not long after that, Old El Paso launched internationally. Now, over time, the company changed hands from Petco to Pillsbury and to their current owner, General Mills. In the 90s, Old El Paso was involved in what is, known, what is now known as the Salsa Wars. This was essentially a marketing battle for salsa supremacy between Old El Paso, Taste, and Tostitos. 
At the time, Old El Paso had won the battle, retaining over 50% of the booming salsa market. Today, however, it seems as though they've lost the war as they currently hold less than 11% of the market. They do still claim, uh, or they still do hold or claim to hold the position as the number one in market share for Mexican meal kits, though I don't really know any other brands. Now that could be a testament to, to that claim, or it could just be that there isn't really any other company competing. And today their focus is much less on the meal kits we grew up with, um, that had some element of do-it-yourself, or as the company describes it, quote-unquote, scratch cooking, which it absolutely is not. Their focus has shifted uh, to fully pre-made meals, as this is where they see the market heading. Not that it's my place to say, but I think they've drastically misjudged the market. Just take a look at the quickly growing meal kit delivery service that has exploded in the last few years. Whatever the future has in store for Old El Paso, and honestly, I don't think the outlook is great at this day on the current path, there is no denying their past. They really did introduce the world to a version of Mexican food, as skewed a version as it may be, and I don't think it's unrealistic to say that the modern taco craze may not have existed at all without the influence of Old El Paso in the 80s and 90s. I'm Chef Ben, this is Food in 5, and this has been the brief history of Old El Paso. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Chef Ben Kelly and on Facebook at Ben Kelly Cooks. You can like and subscribe to this podcast. You can rate it, comment on it, share it, tell your friends about it. Uh, I don't know. You can do whatever you'd like with it. It's all for you. Thank you, as always, for listening on this Thursday. I'll be back tomorrow uh, with another fantastic episode of Food and Five. And tomorrow, we're talking about everything I know, ironically, about salsa. Uh, and salsa variations so it's going to be an interesting one i'm excited for it i'll see you then have a great thursday everybody